Don't worry. We'll see him again. When? In time. One day he'll be here, and the next he won't. But you mustn't press him. After all, he's not a tame lion. No. But he is good. For those of you who do not know where that clip is from, it's from the Chronicles of Narnia. Beautiful, beautiful stories, seven of them written by C.S. Lewis, who took the gospel and put it in children's language by creating creatures and animals, and of course, the lion typifying the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. Um, But when you think about it, Jesus is not safe. Right? He's not our homeboy. He's not our guy. He's not our buddy. But he's good. And that changes everything. Well, happy Father's Day once again, or as I like to refer it to as go and buy your dad cheap cologne from Giant Tiger Day. Or find a tie that he hasn't worn in about five years, wrap it up, re-gift it to him, and say, Happy Father's Day. It's like cornflakes, right? <laughs> Tasting for the very first time. <laughs> it was a challenge to come up with the appropriate and right message, right, for a day like today, because we're in the middle of a powerful series entitled Dollars and Cents, and we've been exploring how The kingdom of God, the values of Jesus and the kingdom inform the way we handle our finances. And, of course, it's Father's Day, so you want to talk about fathers. And I thought to myself, well, if I extol the virtues of being a good dad, my sons would probably storm the stage and beat me senseless. But it's also a day, most importantly, to talk about the greatest father ever, our heavenly father. So... The question I was asking myself is, how do I hit three crows with one stone? Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We would be in a mess every time. So with that said, um, I'd I'd like you to read these verses with me. You ready? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. We are talking about our Heavenly Father's goodness. And this text, I think, speaks not only to the obvious, that God is our Father and that He gives us good things, But in light of the fact that it is found in the Sermon on the Mount and thematically found at the end of a lot of things that Jesus has been talking about, like giving, 
hoarding and consumption, worrying about having needs met and burying our treasures and going after false treasures and on and on and on. He returns to the theme of prayer here one more time and reframes it in the language of asking, seeking, and knocking. Interestingly enough, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, hey, listen, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. And again, in the famous passage that I believe Pastor Shannon spoke on last week or the week before, um, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that consume our worry list, our daily bread needs list, will be provided. So, somehow Jesus returns to this theme in chapter 7, and he is talking about needs, how God provides, and where we stand in that whole equation. The first thing he addresses is what I entitle the issue of persistence. Ask and it will be given to you, Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Very interestingly, the, the, the actual grammatical phrasing of this, these three words, ask, seek, knock, um, they're commands, but they're in the present active sense. In other words, Keep on asking, and keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Don't stop. The implication, obviously, is to be persistent, to continue firmly, sometimes almost obstinately, in a course of action, in spite of the difficulty or the challenges you may face. The asking, the seeking, and knocking are never a one-shot deal. And I love this because it's not like Jesus is saying there's three ways of going about this. You know, if you can't get God's attention by asking, then, then you know, you, you start seeking. It's just, I think it's his way of saying, involve your entire being. We ask, obviously, with our voice. We seek with our, our vision. We're looking our sight. We knock with our hands. It's bring all of you into relationship with God when you're seeking something, asking for something. The bottom line is that we do this with intensity and persistence, that there really is passion behind our purpose for asking God for what we genuinely need. Now, I've wrestled with this aspect of prayer because, I mean, obviously, with my propensity to kind of want to work at things, I ask myself, doesn't this all seem like work? Like we're trying to get something out of God, out of a tight-fisted God who's reluctant to give us what we need? Well, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, the answer is no. Dallas Willard once said that God is not opposed to effort, but he is opposed to earning. In other words, when we pray in such a way that involves the whole of our being, and, and it's, it's, it's effort, like our hearts are into it, we're passionate about it. We, we have genuine, legitimate needs that we're going to God with. It involves our whole being. But we don't pray as if somehow we are entitled to get what we want because we're simply asking. 
It's never about entitlement. It's never about earning. It's always about effort. There's a great distance between desiring something from God and believing deep down in our hearts that we deserve it. And we all know that. But I think the truth is is that one of the greatest obstacles in prayer is our very own half-heartedness. We're called to be persistent in prayer and not passive. And the truth is, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes I ask half-heartedly because of my own unbelief at times. Or because maybe I'm just so self-reliant that I'd rather trust my wits, my wisdom, and my willpower to get what I want. But persisting in prayer begs the question, why am I called to be persistent? Why do I keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking? Well, it brings me to the next point, persuasion. Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, kind of buried in this statement is this sense of certainty and confidence in God's willingness to respond to us. In other words, we persist in prayer because we're persuaded that God really does, in fact, respond to us. He really does answer us when we pray. Now, again, and I don't want to like, drive you nuts with all this grammar, Greek, language stuff, but our English translation of these verses really doesn't capture the heart of what's being said. Because we read the words and we kind of go, okay, to the person who asks, they receive right? But the way it's phrased with, with the, um, the intonation in the original language, it, Jesus is saying it this way, for everyone who asks, receives. To the ones who seeks, they find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's all in the future, future passive, which simply means that we, we kind of ask, seek, and knock, and it will come, but that's about as far as we can go. Like, we can't make it come. We can't make it happen. It's the goodness and the loving nature of God, His faithful heart, who comes through in granting us what we need. Now, Jesus addressed certainty and confidence in prayer in John's Gospel. Over and over and over again, our assurance in prayer is based upon what we know to be true about the character and the person of God. In other words, as, as Paul said to Timothy, I know the one in whom I have believed. Not the one I figured out, not the one who I'm put on the spot, not the one who I've been able to manipulate but the one that I have come to believe in daily life experience and am persuaded that he is able. It's beautiful. I wish I could tell you that cultivating a persuaded heart towards God is a very short process. It's not. It ought to be. The sooner we know who God is, the God that Jesus Christ revealed, but quite often it takes time. We, we learn by experience. We learn by praying and persisting and trusting God. And then eventually 
wow, the prayer gets answered in a way that we have never dreamed in a time that we did not expect. Not always in our time, but in His good time, in His good way. And we look back and we go, wow, here's an experience that has shaped my heart in believing God. And that when I pray, I can persist and I can pray persuasively, be persuaded because of who God is. Thirdly, precedent. Jesus, it's amazing how he does this. Instead of coming out and just saying, God is good, he's going to give you only what's good and what is needed, end of case. He's pulling us in. He says, persist in prayer. Be persuaded that when you're praying, it eventually it'll come. Now, Let's look at our earthly fathers, it's as if he's kind of having this conversation. He says, now let's just, let's just put everybody in the same level playing field. We're all broken, sinful fathers, incomplete. If we, being evil, have the capacity, the just enough intelligence and integrity and intuition, and situational appropriateness to look at our children's needs and go, I think I know what they need. If we have that capacity, we know how to give good gifts to our children, then, well, then is the next point. So let's just stop here. Precedent. You see, I think it's fair to say that over the generations and centuries, fathers have, to some degree or another, There's always exceptions. We're sinful, finite, broken people. But fathers have kind of set a precedent of being, hey, I really want to protect my family. I really want to provide for my family. I really want to make sure they have what they need. I may not always be able to provide what they want, but I'm going to do my best to provide what they need. Now, in spite of being evil in comparison to God, an earthly father has enough sense to give his child that which is good, which is suited to his or her child's legitimate need. Now, when Jesus uses the word evil, it's very deliberate. How may you ask? Because in comparison to our heavenly father, our attempts at being fathers, I I guess, are kind of bleak maybe even bad, and, and in, in the worst, worst possible days, evil. Evil, in this sense, is not the normal word that, that is used to describe like satanic evil, malicious evil, but evil in the sense of it really fails to be good. And how many fathers have, on occasion, taken the father shame stick and have beaten themselves because they, they've just kind of concluded to themselves, boy, I blew this one. I was not a good father in this situation. Thank God we've got a good father who knows how to father us in our bad fathering so that we can eventually get better at fathering, right? Fathers, yeah? You see, all of us as fathers battle with inconsistency. And although we really want to hit a home run every time we go up to bat at fatherhood, sometimes we ground out, we strike out, we 
ground into a double play. You get the metaphor. But if we have enough sense to give our children good gifts, as Jesus said, even then sometimes we struggle with trying to determine if something is in fact good. You know, like you think, this is good for my kids. And, and it, 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 it's like the equivalent of giving them a plate of raw broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and artichoke hearts. You know, they're kind of going, really? I remember one Christmas, and I thought to myself, do I really want to include this? Because it's going to be on tape unless I can pay Michael enough money to edit it out. No, you know, I can't. It's not going to work, right? Okay. Well, I'll just tell the story and let the chips fall where they fall, right? Thank you, Michael. So one year, my parents bought me a big Christmas gift. It was in a big, heavy box. Now, it was my parents' practice to take the gifts, put them right out in full view, so that my sister and I could see the gifts for two tantalizing months before Christmas Day. Now, that's, that's evil, Right? Or looking at it, you know, take, well, we couldn't take pictures, but you know, we're sizing it up, and then of course, when they weren't around, you shake it. I, I don't know. We'll pick up your gift and shake it. At least figure out what. So I pick up, this is a heavy one. Oh, man, I wonder what's in there. And I'm thinking, this is great. I can't even pick this thing up. You know, and of course, back then I was into, you know, the band Kiss, and I was kind of getting into music, and I was thinking about records, and no, actually, I actually was into Backman Turner Overdrive, then eventually to Kiss. That was quite a transition from Canadiana to hell, right? It's just like... So I'm, I got this box, I'm going, man, I just can't wait till Christmas morning to open it up. And then the day came, right? And you, you, like your mind has been filling in the blanks and exegeting this weight, this thing. I mean, I even tried to smell the box to see if I could figure it out. And then it was a bunch of encyclopedias. <laughs> you guys think you have it bad on Christmas morning? You never woke up to a box of encyclopedias. And I'm looking at this, right? And Karen says, you know, Mark, he says, there's just something about your face. Like when you're not happy, when you're disappointed, she said, it really comes out in your face very quickly. I said, no, no. She said, oh, I think it does, Mark. It's just, you, you just, no, I'm really getting good at, at hiding. You know, I once did a, a personality profile test for an organization, well, a church I was going to be joining, and, you know, the, 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 the lead pastor wanted to figure me out, right? He wanted to kind of, okay, what's this guy's angle? You know, what, what can I have over him? And after he did a personality test, he came up to me and says, you know what? He says, this is the conclusion I've come to about you. And I'm looking, at him going, oh, great, you know, I, I'm, I'm a... You know, I, apart from the, the Holy Spirit's restraint, I'm an axe murderer or something. No, he, he looked at me, he said, he, said, uh, he said, you couldn't lie to save your life. And then he walked away. <laughs> I guess that means I'm hired, eh? 
Anyhow, so yeah, I was really disappointed with the encyclopedias. It wasn't like, you know, the, the 50 pounds of LPs I was going. And, and of course, my parents read my face. They, Don't you like it? That's the worst. Eh? When your parents say, Don't you love it? Isn't it great? Encyclopedias are of the devil. Now, I'm sure that there's some young people and going, an, an, an encyclo, a, a what? Oh, an encyclopedia. See, can I help you understand what an encyclopedia is? It has the word cyclop in it. So it's this contraction that you put on your head that has many eyes that helps you see behind you. Back in the day, eh? Well, we get to our last point, and it's paternal goodness. Paternal goodness of our Heavenly Father. So here, like, it's technically, this is the punchline. Jesus draws us in, and he says, I want you to be persistent in prayer because I want you to be persuaded by the fact that when you pray to your heavenly Father, he does indeed answer prayer. And he says, look at yourselves. You know very well that if your children, your flesh and blood, ask you for something, like, If they're asking for food, you're not going to give them something that's going to harm them, right? You're going to give them what they need. How much more will your Heavenly Father give good things, good gifts to your children? I'm I'm sorry. Wrong phrase, I'm sorry. How much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? Okay, I, I, I lost my place here. So, one of Jesus' motifs find over and over in the gospel when he's trying to emphasize something, how much more? It's his way of exaggerating the obvious to make a case in point. The point is simply this. Our Heavenly Father is a good Father who only is capable of giving us what is good. And I love this, the movement from my father, right? When he was 12 years old in the temple, don't you know that I should be here about my father's business? To our father who art in heaven. And now he's, he's convincing his disciples, your heavenly father, the one who's caring for you, not just general our or my, but your father. Jesus' emphasis on the fatherhood of God is something that was underdeveloped in Judaism. But we see this more in in the Gospel of John as Jesus actually says, you know, I'm going to reveal the... I'm going, in other words, literally, in that verse in John 1, 18, I'm going to explain the Father to you by my actions, by my deeds, by my words, by the way I treat people. Now, the thing is here is that God our Father will give us good things. His capacity and willingness to give is not some form of blind generosity, but He takes the greatest pleasure in giving us what is good. He delights in being able to provide what we need, and we bring Him pleasure by looking to Him and leaning on Him in dependency and trust for our needs. There could be nothing more heartbreaking than if my sons were to look at me and then go to my neighbors for what they need. And I think any father would be able to relate to that. Can you imagine your kids looking at you and going, well, I guess I'm going to ask my neighbor for this. That would break our hearts. 
I just wonder how our father feels at times when there are things that he knows we need, good things by his definition of good, and we find all kinds of options and alternatives to go to to get what we think we need. And he's going like, what? I'm not good enough. I can't take care of you or provide for you. Here's the gist. He gives good things. Not just he gives things. He gives good things. How many of you have an aunt or a great aunt or a grandmother or somebody in your distant lineage by the name of Agatha? Agatha. No. Okay, I do. <laughs> that might be the Irish side of our family. Anyhow, all right. Ag- okay, anybody heard of Agatha Christie? Cricket. Okay, anyhow. Well, Agatha is the English transliteration of the Greek word agathos, which is the word here for good. So if you ever meet somebody by the name of Agatha, say, hello, Miss Good. Because that's what it means, good. Agatha, the good. It doesn't mean nice. Good is not something that just appeals to our sense of like or preference. You remember when the rich young ruler ran up to Jesus and said, Hey, good teacher, and Jesus replied to him and said, You know what, there's only one who is good. That's God himself. The ultimate, consummate standard and definition of ultimate good is God. This beautiful biblical word, good is used to describe the meeting of a relatively high standard of quality, ensuring that what is given is useful and beneficial. Only what is qualitatively good comes from God. He will not give less. Hence, when James says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, The point being is that it's impossible for God in his understanding of who we are, what we're made up, what we genuinely need, what we desire, what is best for our well-being and and benefit to give us anything less than that. I'm not saying he never will. Because scripture is replete with examples of people who badgered God and badgered God. You just got to look at the children of Israel. I think Psalm says um, they they pestered him and craved meat in the wilderness. And he he gave in to them. He gave it to them. But then he sent leanness to their soul. But if we are legitimately asking God for the good... And it somehow just doesn't quite show up on our doorstep the next day. That's indicative of the fact that what he wants to give us has high standards. Even discipline, according to Hebrews chapter 12, is good because of the long view in mind. Long term, what what ultimately has the whole of our lives. No wonder David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. Only God has the ability even to take evil and that which is set against us 
and ultimately work it out in time. Ye meant it unto me as evil, but the Lord God meant it for good. The good that God gives us is worth waiting for because it's worth having in the long term. We need only look at the creation story. What God has created and declared to be good has stood the test of time. It don't matter how many thousand years have gone by, an apple still tastes good, even if it's grown in Ontario. Now, is God's good always perceived to be good and beneficial? Well, I have to be honest with you, from my limited perspective in my sinfulness, I would probably say no. At face value, upon first impressions, there's some things that don't look good at all. But over time, we, I, begin to see God's fingerprints on something, and in due time, we see God's handiwork, and we come to the conclusion that, you know what, this is good. I have gone through seasons of of pain, and I've just seen a very, very subtle transition in my life from, God, why? And what is this? To, To... at times, actually saying, you know what, God, this is good pain. This is good for me. This is shaping my heart and my soul. Quite often, well, I might add, we see something as good. In fact, it's not good. It may be even destructive to us in the long term. And God cannot give us which, by his standards, is not good. That's not because he's mean or stingy or enjoys depriving us of the good we need. It's because he's loving and goodness flows out of his good and loving nature. He cannot give us something that is not good. He doesn't withhold good from us. But it does require that we trust his character and in his timing and in the season of waiting to actually be trained by that waiting to see that what God gives us is indeed good. And I remember years ago, this was, this was like a, a shifting point for me. And I'll just say, I'll just say it as, as I, I wrote it down. That I have learned the hard way that there have been times when God has entrusted me with the burden of trusting Him. There have been seasons in my life where God has entrusted to me the burden of trusting Him. And for those of you who have ever had to carry a burden of having to trust God in difficult seasons, you understand it's weighty, it's substantial, it's requiring something of you. You, you. you lay it down when you go to bed, but you wake up in the morning and you pick it up. I've got to trust God in this situation. He gives us grace to carry it, but we carry it nevertheless. To finish off this verse, he says he gives good things to those who ask him. Now, I want to draw your attention back to verse 8. Uh, verse 8 simply says this, right? To those who asks, receives. Interestingly, he says, ask, verse 7, and it will be given to you. But in the very next verse, he says, those who ask, who 
persuadedly are persuaded and, and they're asking. They receive. It doesn't say those who ask get what they want, but they receive. The whole language of receiving in the New Testament simply implies that we are always on the receiving end of God's goodness, of God's good things. There's nothing about us that kind of gets things out of God. We receive them. Right? This will make sense in a minute. We're the beneficiary of God's grace. We neither deserve nor not deserve anything that we receive from God or not receive from God. Merit never figures into the equation. I'll just come right out and say that. I think the primary reason we don't ask God for things is pride. The point is simple. We don't want to ask. We don't like to ask. To ask for something is to admit something about yourself that you are in need that you are not self-sufficient, and you are not completely independent of others. You need help. And as sin, in one of its more deceptive manifestations in the human heart, I think quite often blinds us to the fact that we are so self-reliant, so self-sufficient and self-centered, that we'd rather not ask because it's humbling. Or if we can manage to ask God, we certainly don't ask of each other. I would wager that is why Jesus enjoyed using the illustration of children as a model of humility. Not only do they ask, they have the gall to believe that you can and will provide. Isn't it amazing some of the things that kids kids ask you? Dad, can I have... After you peel yourself off the floor. And James is right. We have not because we don't ask. Before you get into all the bad motives and fighting and selfishness and all that, he begins by saying, listen, you you don't ask. You you don't have because you don't ask. You don't want to ask. You don't want to humble yourself and say, I'm in need. Horizontally or vertically. We seek We ask, we knock. The point is that God will only give what is good to those who humbly come to him and ask. We're we're dependent upon him. So let me conclude with this. Where do you rank in your persistence in prayer? Do you persist? Do you stay at it? When you pray, are you persuaded or your heart is just rocking with doubt? And we do have these seasons. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Dads. Let me just start with the dads because it's Father's Day. I I leaned over to Russ. I said, Russ. Russ. I actually had another name for Russ, but he looked at me and said, don't you ever say that. I wouldn't. And Ross says, yeah, because you know better. <laughs> Find you after church. And... For dads. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what I asked Ross. Um, the point is, dads, have you ever remembered a time when you got it right? When you got it right. In other words, what your child genuinely needed, 
you got it. And it was like, it was like the stars aligned. Angels came out. You heard trumpets. The kids stood there, tears running down their face. Well, at least tears are sweat. But I mean, they're looking and going, you are the dad. (laughs) You're all laughing because you're thinking, it never happened. (laughs) Right? But dads, moms, right? Moms, when you know, if you, and God bless you who who carry the mantle, being the only parent at home, you're you're right. You got it right. <laughs> the joy it brought to your heart when you just saw their little faces light up because it is what they needed and what they wanted. It was like, my goodness, does it get any better? Multiply that by a thousand times in God's heart when He can look down at us. And, and he gives us something that we need, and we go, God, I see it. I see it. This is a month ago, maybe I would have thought this is not what I wanted, but I see it. This is what I need, and thank you. It is what I want. Do you still struggle with asking God for what you really need? Maybe you're not sure of what you really need. The truth is, friends, that not only do we confuse our wants with our needs, but I would even say that sometimes we confuse our real needs with wants. And so we don't ask. I don't want to ask God for this because it's trivial. It's not important. I, I don't think I should ask him this. Do you still struggle with the revelation of God as your father? Has the legacy of an imperfect father clouded or spoiled it for you? Have you misjudged your heavenly father's good intentions because he's not given you yet or has just not given you what you've asked for? That maybe somehow you might even see what has been given to you as a burden and not a blessing. We've all been there. My persistency and my persuasion in prayer rests upon our Heavenly Father's consistency in providing what's good for me, for us, for all of us. That's what it rests on. Our Heavenly Father is consistent in giving us good things, He's consistent with His nature not with our needless, but with his nature. He knows what we need, and he gives it to us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Heavenly Father, it's no fault of yours that we sometimes don't see you as the really good Father that you are. And it is certainly no fault of yours that what we have asked for, probably along the way, we have not received. And some of the things that we ask for, we have, obviously. 
But then there are things that you've graciously given to us, and we just just wondering, like, is this really good? And maybe we just don't have the perspective of time yet. But none of this changes who you are. None of this changes the wonderful, good heart that you have that Jesus has revealed to us in his word, his deeds, his actions, his choices, his treatment of people, which has come to us by version of scripture and life experience. We know that you're good. But perhaps, and maybe today, we just need not only to be reminded once again of that, but to have that reality revealed to our hearts. Somehow our perspective has taken a beating. Our conclusions are wrong. The way we have looked at things, the, the assumptions we've made about them are off. They're aligned with a, a measurement given to us by this world and not by you. And so this day, we really, really do want to bring ourselves to you once again, all over again, and ask you for the ABCs of your goodness. Heavenly Father, you know every person in this room and what has formed or deformed the way they look at you, the impressions they have about you, the conclusions they have come about you. And only you can change that. For some of us, our earthly fathers are gone, and we can't undo the scrambled eggs of life experience. All we can do is start today as if for the first time to be healed, to be gradually changed and transformed. And so that's where we find us today on this Father's Day in June 2018. We want to come to you in humility. We want to come to you and have the grace to be able to forgive our fathers for not being you. And of course, they can't be. We want to forgive them because one day we will be fathers and we will let down our children and we will look into their eyes for forgiveness and mercy and grace. We will want to hear them say, Dad, it's okay. It's okay, I know you're trying. So in this next few moments, as we sing this beautiful anthem, Father, we are going to come up front for those of us who want to. We'll present ourselves, not to me or not to a prayer team, but to you, and to ask you to do something in our heart once again. If the glasses, the lenses over our heart are full of fingerprints and dirt and grease and oil, and they cloud the vision of who you are, would you cleanse those by your Holy Spirit? 
Would you begin to bring healing so that today we as a congregation, as your people can look back and go, you know what, that day something began to change, began to change. And I think it's getting better. And I'm learning how to trust. And I'm learning how not to come to the wrong conclusions about the things that come from your God's hand. And then I'm learning to discern what is good and what is not. So folks, I don't want to belabor this today. I know it is Father's Day and many of you have plans. But as the worship team sings this next song, it's an anthem and a declaration and a confession. We invite you to come forward if you would like to pray or you want prayer. But I know we have needs galore, and they never end. But I would invite you this day just to come forward and just present your heart before God the Father. Even, even if what you think about Him is great, it could be greater. If it's good, it, like they say in Georgia, it could be gooder. It could be better. And the more we can see the goodness of our God and, and be shaped by that, then I think we probably have a better chance of being better fathers. And being better fathers means our sons and our daughters get to see a better example of what a father is. And it gets passed on and emulated and and transmitted to the next generation. It is the good gift that never ends. It keeps on giving. So I would invite you to come forward if you believe in your heart that that's what you'd like. And uh, we will pray. And then when it's time... When the song's over, we'll dismiss you and go with God's good gifts and pleasure and grace on you today. Amen? Amen. Would you stand?